What is a Christian's role in the nation in which he's a citizen? Among many things, we should understand that God has put authorities in their place, and we should respect them. In this July 4th message, Pastor Chris Chavik examines the book of Romans and what it means to be a Christian citizen. Romans chapter 13 is an interesting passage of Scripture. Um, it's one of those, I, I don't know how you feel about portions of the Bible, but it's one of those portions of the Bible that I wish weren't in there. That's supposed to be funny. But I really do. I, Romans 13 is one of those portions where I wish um, maybe it said something different than what it said, because I don't like the restraint that is placed on me by the Word of God in Romans chapter 13. And, uh, but I have to submit to it because it's God's word and his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so I have to do what the Lord says regardless of how I feel about it in Romans chapter 13 and, and what he says there. And um, there, there is, uh, it is just such a powerful passage of scripture. Now, for those of you that are here, and I hope all uh, that will become all of you, for our study in the book of Romans, as we've been studying Romans chapter 1, uh, as we're going verse by verse through the book of Romans, I don't want you to think this morning that we have jumped forward 12 chapters. We are not almost done with the book of Romans. That's not where we're at at all. But this is a very clear passage on what it means to be a Christian citizen and Christian citizenship. And so on this 4th of July, when, oh, how can I say it, where I think all of you would agree, it seems like our country is falling apart in so many ways that I think it's imperative, not I think, I know it is imperative that pastors preach on what it means to be a Christ-honoring citizen in 2021 from the Word of God. And so we're just going to look at the first seven verses of Romans chapter 13. The scripture says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For, for this cause, pay we tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. It was 1992. I had just turned 20 years old and had moved to Ohio from uh, the state of Washington, Spokane, Washington. You don't often hear the phrase, I moved to Ohio. You often hear the phrase, I moved from Ohio. Why is that? Go to Ohio. Sorry, we have many Buckeyes in our church, and I love them dearly, Uh, but when I moved to Ohio, I was moving to go to college, a small Christian college right outside of Dayton in the little town of Cedarville, and uh, I was there, and it was following the decisive victory of the first Gulf War. Um, Those of us that were in high school, I graduated in 1991. The first Gulf War happened starting in January of 91, took about five weeks, but many of you will remember if you were old enough that um, we had determined by and large that uh, if the uh, first Gulf War were still going on when we graduated from high school, that we would join the military and that we would defend our country through, throughout that. That was just kind of what we thought for those many weeks in, in leading up to the war. And then during the war, my brother was a um, communication specialist in the army and he was in the second wave that went into Baghdad and that whole region did all of that and um, 
We were, we, it was a, a scary time in many ways to be alive. And uh, the uh, prognosticators were arguing and saying that this could possibly lead to a third world war. And we were fearful of that, but ready to do our duty indeed for our country. Well, the war lasting only a few weeks obviously ended, but one thing that didn't end was the level of patriotism that we experienced. And those of you that were alive then, uh, which is not all of you by any means, but those of you who were alive then know and appreciated the level of patriotism that was alive during that period. Well, as I said, I moved to Ohio. I was going to... Um, Cedarville College, and and I worked a job, but on a particular Thursday night in the month of October, I was off of my job, and I was um, just sitting around campus, and as happens with uh, campus students that don't have their family around them, I uh, appreciated the group of friends that God had allowed me to connect with, and so we decided one night to travel to a little town called Zania, Ohio, about 10, 15 minutes away from us, and and uh, we were going to go to Pizza Hut. How many of you remember Pizza Hut restaurants that you could actually go to? Like you could go and sit down in them. They had kind of that unique roof. And they all had the video game tables uh, that were flat. If you lived, if you're from a small town, you still probably remember those maybe. Uh, big cities got rid of those. I don't know. I think it was a municipal ordinance or something. They, they just don't exist hardly anywhere anymore. I was recently in Colorado and they had one and that was cool. And, but you'd go into, we decided to go to the pizza hut. And I remember that smell when we walked inside uh, dimly lit with those red chandeliers and, and the smell smelled like what you're going to smell when you walk into heaven. I mean, it's just the greatest smell ever. If you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your parents to let you be born earlier because um, it's something that you'll never ever forget I mean it was awesome and uh, you'd walk in there it's a smell unlike any other pizza place ever and I remember we walked in and we got a table there were about 10 of us that were there and we got a table and we're just hanging out hungry college students and we pooled all our money together and we were able to with all of the money that we could find or steal or borrow or whatever we could we were able to buy two large pizzas for 10 college students which I will say is not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. But we, that's what we were able to do. And we were typical college students drinking water with as much lemon in it as we could because we couldn't afford the pitchers of soda. Remember when they used to pitch soda and not bring all that out there? And so we ordered our two deep dish pizzas and we're waiting on our food to arrive and we're just having fun and we're kind of the life of the restaurant and there's people around us and people around us that were eating and we were praying that they would leave and leave their pizza at the table because had they left their pizza at the table, no doubt about it, we would have grabbed their pizza and we would have eaten it ourselves. And the girls were like, I can't believe you'll do that. And we looked at them like, we don't care because we will eat it nonetheless. How many of you were in college and you felt like I felt? Like I'll eat anything by any, it'll fall on the floor and I'll eat it. I'll be the vacuum for tonight. I was so hungry and all of us were. Well, we were just having a good time. And the jukebox was playing. Some of you don't know what that is, but it's this big thing that had records in it. And you would pay money and you would hit like J4 and it would play your favorite song, you know, Mama Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. And you'd say they'd play that in October, they'd play anything if it was on the jukebox. And you'd play a quarter, 50 cents or whatever it was and you'd play that. It would go throughout the whole restaurant and it was fun. Well, we were just sitting there talking and hanging out and just having fun and I don't know what we were doing other than that and... The song by Lee Greenwood came on, God Bless the USA. And we all kind of heard it, but we kind of just kept talking. And then one girl at the table started humming it along with it. You know, I'm proud to be an American. And she started humming that song with him as it's being played. Just the first verse, she's humming. And then another person started singing at the table. And then another person started singing at the table. And there's about 10 or 12 of us, and three of them are singing, and 
then it was kind of cool because I was at the table, but there were people with bigger personalities than I had, which is not always the case. And they're like, let's sing. And then one guy gets up. So we all start singing every verse. I mean, it was like the number one song for like a hundred years when I was a kid. I mean, it was, it was everywhere played all the time. And so we're singing and then, then people in the restaurant started noticing us and, and, uh, they started kind of singing. And then one guy at our table, he stands up and he starts leading the entire restaurant in God bless the USA. And people are singing. I mean, it was, it was great. It was loud. It was, there was much volume that was there. And we're just singing at the top of our lungs. And we get to that last part of the verse where he says, or the last chorus, he says, and I'll gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today and everybody at the restaurant stood up the the cooks came out of the back they're standing pizzas are burning the soda machine is silent the rats at pizza hut came out and stood up on their back legs and they were saluting it's something that never happens at pizza hut the rat started stopped eating i mean it was awesome and we're all standing there i'll gladly stand up next to you and defender still today god bless the u.s and it got done and we cheered we're hugging people we don't know old ladies are kissing us and we're letting them I mean it was awesome patriotism was at its height how many of you kind of remember that era that was an awesome time to be alive well I think the pendulum has swung I'm fearful that in our modern era that patriotism has swung the other way. And now it might be, unfortunately, almost at an all-time low. And if I could be honest with you, I find that disheartening in some ways. Uh, I'm not going to use the word discouraging, but concerning. Very concerning. Our young people are being taught in schools the what we would call revisionist history. That every one of our founding fathers were egomaniacs that left their homeland and came and desired to live in poverty and and, and die even in poverty if it meant the freedom being passed down to the following generations. So I was thinking, it's the 4th of July. I'm at camp. Lord, what passage would you have me to preach? knowing the burden on my soul. We're in a series in Romans, and the Lord led me to our text. And we see in verses 1 and 2, very clearly, God's expectation for the citizen. God's expectation for the citizen. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. God's expectation for all mankind The word every is that little Greek word that is often used with the translated to the word all. Here it's the word every, and it means totality or completeness or oneness. It literally means this, all mankind. You say, oh, he's talking about all Christians, not in verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, he's talking about all people everywhere for all time. That all people everywhere, let every soul be subject to the higher power. Well, what's the higher power? Well, he's talking, or powers. He's talking directly about the governmental authorities in your life. Those who have governmental authority over you, let every soul be submitted or subjected. That's what the word subject means. It means to be submitted or to be placed in order to be submitted to them. Every soul, every person within the boundaries of a country are to be submitted to the laws of that country and to those who are in authority within that country. Well, does it mean anything else? Well, you could include every aspect of authority in your life. Children, you could include parents. Uh, teenagers, you could include your mom and dad. Uh, you could in some way, in a roundabout way, if you wanted to include your boss. You could certainly include within the church. God has established some to be in authority within local churches. But he is 
primarily, and, and as far as interpretation goes, what he is talking about here is governmental authority. Let every soul be subject to those who have the higher power. As I said earlier, I'm thankful to be a citizen of the United States of America. When people malign our country, I, I just need, and I'll say this several times, and it might even feel awkward for you, but it doesn't feel awkward for me. I, I, I want to say with emphasis, without volume, that I love our country. I love America. I thank God, I thank God for America. And can I say that patriotism is a biblical concept? Whatever country you are from, you ought to love it. This is not exclusive to the United States of America. This is a biblical principle. The Bible is not an American book. The Bible is God's love letter to mankind. So wherever you live, patriotism is a biblical concept. I was visiting with a friend of mine from Mexico and he was struggling with the love that we have for our country because I said, I love America. He said, well, I think you should love Jesus more. I said, I do. But they're not exclusive one of another. It's not either I love country or I love Jesus. I love Jesus, and because I love Jesus, I love the country he's put me in. And so I began to think about it. Yesterday in my office, I started to think, well, this is not just an American principle, though it is an American principle or a principle for the United States. It's a principle for whatever country in the world you live in. I, I just started going through here and listing people from that are in our church, and I didn't wasn't able to get everyone, but homelands for people that are in our church, either first or second generation. Mexico, Ukraine, Brazil, Italy, Hong Kong, Samoa, the Philippines, India, Somalia, the United Kingdom. First losers. I was there one time on the 4th of July. Natalie and I laid at night at the 4th of July. And we were doing handstand push-ups in front of the, a statue uh, of Winston Churchill. We love Winston Churchill. And so we were just doing handstand push-ups. And we sang God Bless America with Winston Churchill. It was the first time that statue had ever spoken. It was awesome. The UK, China, Honduras, Chile, Uganda, Vietnam, Japan, Fiji... You ought to love the country in which you live. You ought to love the country you're from. If you're here this morning, whatever country, we had several listed, many of you here, but let's just take Mexico because there are neighbors to the south. If you're from Mexico, love Mexico. Celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Eat hot sauce. Love refried beans. Have a tortilla on me. I mean, it's an awesome country. Some of y'all, I can't believe he's really saying he loves me. I love Mexico. I would live there if it wasn't in Mexico. <laughs> God's called me to San Diego. I can't go there. But it's an awesome country. And every country that I listed is an awesome country. Love the country you're from. But can I say this? Love the country you live in as well. The country. Why do I love my country? Why should you love your country? Well, because the country is not the food. And the country is not the topography or the layout of the land. The country is the people of the land that have come together or God has placed there. If country was food and topography, I would probably pick Italy because they have great food and great coffee. And they're right next to the water wherever you go. And I love the Italian accent and the desserts. And I'm a big fan of lasagna and I'm I love cheese. So what's there not to love about Italy? But you could pick your country. It's not about the topography or the food or even the sights. The country is, this is where God has placed me. In the biblical principle we read about in Romans chapter 9, turn to the left a little bit in your Bible, Romans chapter 9. 
I say the truth in Christ, verse number one, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul is talking about his love for the Jews who are Israelites, verse number four, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises whose are the fathers and of whom is concerning the flesh Christ came who is over all God bless forever amen Paul says I love my country my people my countrymen so much that I verse number three that I wish myself were accursed or I wish myself on my way to hell if it would mean that the people of Israel would be saved I mean Paul is literally saying I love my people, my country, my homeland so much that I would go to hell if it meant that they would be saved. I love America, but I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I love America that much. I, I would, I'd go to Phoenix. I'd go to Yuma if I had to. Our friend this week at camp said, that's like Hell's Kitchen. It's right next door. It's the, it's the foyer to it. I mean, it's so hot there. But I don't know that I would. But Paul said, I love them so much. I love my countrymen so much. I love my people so much that I'm willing to go to hell so that they might be saved. Look over for chapter 10, verse number 1. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Patriotism is a biblical concept. And at the end of the day, patriotism is really stewardship. Patriotism is stewardship. God, listen to me, God has placed you where he placed you. Steward what God, where God has placed you well. You are not here accidentally. You're not, let's say we have people that are visiting here. I don't know every person here. I didn't know everybody at the 830 service uh, that is here. But let's say that we have somebody visiting from, oh, one of my favorite countries in the world is Romania or Cambodia. I love both of those countries very much. But let's say we have somebody visiting from Romania. If God has placed you in Romania, love Romania. This is not exclusive to the United States of America. You ought to love where God has placed you. Why? Because he has placed you where he has placed you. And where he's placed you is his gift to you. The parable of the stewards in Matthew chapter 25, the Bible talks about Jesus giving one guy one talent and one guy two and one guy five and, and the master is coming back and the guy with the five talents took and traded and worked and he got five more talents. He stewarded the resource well and the guy with two talents took those talents and he traded them and he worked with them and when the master came back, he gave him the two original talents and he gave him two more. He stewarded them well but the guy with one talent took that one resource that God gave him and he buried it in the ground and when, when the master came back he gave him simply that one talent back and God said you did what was expected you protected the talent you you wicked and slothful servant why he did not manage the resource well and God has given us the resource the 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 privilege the opportunity the love of be or or the 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 in his graciousness of being born in the United States of America and we are to steward that resource well Patriotism is stewardship. A great old preacher from years gone by by the name of George W. Truett said, I'll read a long part and then we'll show something on the screen. If the citizens of a nation be lacking in true patriotism, though her ships of commerce may whiten every sea, though her crops may overflow every granary and barn, though her gold may glut every bank, a nation without patriotism will go downgrade at lightning speed. There is a renaissance, he says, at the time of patriotism in our country now, which holds high hopes for our long future. And he quotes Psalm 137.5, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget it, it's cunning and my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. We ought not forget where we're born is the principle he's making. And then he says this, love of country is one of the noble affections of the human heart. 
love of country. Noble affections of the human heart. In the United States today, there's a small, noisy, influential group of people who are arguing that patriotism is ungodly. Nothing could be further from the truth. Placing love of country above the love of God is certainly ungodly, but patriotism is godly, and I submit to you that patriotism is biblical. It's not, again, exclusive to our land. It's every country across the world. You ought to love the country that you are from and the country where you live. I love what Peter Marshall, who's a pastor and chaplain of the Senate in 1947 until his sudden death in 1949, he said this, may we think of freedom not as a right to do as we please, but as the opportunity to do what is right. Famed writer, historian, humorist, physician, and poet, Oliver Wendell Holmes said, one flag, one land, one hand, one nation evermore. The division in America today is so concerning. It is so destructive. We have segmented people group after people group after people group. And now it's our little, little group splintered off that. And if they, if somebody does something we don't like, we'll splinter it even more. And we, we live with entire individualism. And there needs to be a, a coming together and, and an embracing, I would submit to you, of differences, not in agreement with everyone, but in an acceptance of one, knowing that we are one nation, one land, one flag forevermore. Theodore Roosevelt, war hero, mayor, president, said patriotism means to stand by the country. It does not mean to stand by the president, praise the Lord, or any other public official. And this is for every soul, all mankind. All the inhabitants, verse number one, let every inhabitant be submitted to the higher powers, to the governmental, it's specifically referring to governmental authority or secular authorities in our life. We can apply that into any authority, as I said earlier in our life, but it is not talking per se about any authority in our life. It is talking about governmental authority in our life. We're to submit to them. For there's no power but of God, or God placed those powers. They are ordained. That's the word that he uses. They are ordained of God. The word ordained here means to be set in order or appointed. Those in authority are appointed by the Lord. So whoever resists the power resists the ordinance or the ordination of God. The word resist here means to set oneself in opposition to. I'm not doing what they say. I'm joining this group and we are going to, to, to take down the government. Well, then you're resisting the ordinance of God. It's not that I don't have stuff to say. I just want you to think deeply about it. And what's the product of such resistance? Verse number two, they that resist shall receive to themselves. In other words, they'll bring upon themselves damnation or judgment or condemnation or God will judge them. Well, why? Because we see in this text of scripture, God's expectation for government in verse number three and four. God's expectation for government. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. God expects the government to punish evil. Now let me say it again. God expects the government to punish evil. For rulers, governmental authorities are to be a terror. That's a strong word. Same Greek word where we get the idea of terrorism. They are to be a terror. They are not to be a terror to good works, but they are to be a terror to evil. Evil, wicked, bad, worthless. Here's the idea. Government, punish evil. Punish wickedness. Punish worthlessness. Punish 
that which is bad. That's their responsibility. Did you hear what I said? That's their responsibility. One of the sad realities at the moment of our nation's current condition is that we are obviously under the judgment of God and we are under the judgment of God for many reasons. But one of the greatest reasons is that those in authority have such a lust for power that on both sides of whatever aisle you're on, that they are willing to lie, cheat, and steal to stay in authority. There are many at our capital, and I'm talking about the United States of America, and in our local municipalities who allow anarchist Marxist groups like Antifa and their allies to pillage, to riot, to abuse anyone they like. And they reject for things, they reject calls for something to be done. Just yesterday, there were a group of people preaching, street preachers, and, and though I wouldn't practice that, they have every right to do that. And they were a group of men and women who were preaching and evangelizing on the streets of downtown Los Angeles, and Antifa came and started to abuse and beat and push and kick and hit those people for nothing more than preaching what they believed the scripture to say. And the police did nothing. Stood by. Well, that's just one case. We could look all over the nation and see how municipalities and local governments are allowing these groups to come in and, and in grave anarchy and lawlessness go through and destroy businesses and people's homes and people's property and people's cars and they just sit by. Why? Not because they think it's right, but because they want to stay in power and so they'll just simply allow it to happen if it means that they get to stay in power. And that is one of the gross, egregious sins of our land. Portland, Oregon, this year, the murder rate is up 800%. Not eight, not 80, 800%. You turn on the news, go online after the service. And look at the murder rate of Chicago, Illinois. And you'll see every weekend, 50, 60, 70, 80. Uh, they're projecting possibly two to 300 people murdered this holiday weekend alone. Meanwhile, those in authority in Chicago, political authority in Chicago, ha have stood up and said, we don't have a crime problem in Chicago. Maybe not in your neighborhood, Madam Mayor, but that little old lady who lives near Cabri, where Cabrini Green used to be in the, in the ghettos of Chicago, in her neighborhood, there is a huge crime problem. See, part of government's responsibility is to protect those who are weakest among us. They have a responsibility to that. And who these groups prey on, all in the name of their free speech, is those who are weakest among us. And they'll, here's what our government's doing, the exact opposite of what God says. They are, rewarding evil. They're supposed to reward good. Verse number three, do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. Do that which is virtuous or good deeds and, and there will be good Let me, and, and you will be praised or they'll leave you alone. 
God expects public officials and those in authority to do good. For those in authority are ministers of God. And they are ministers of good. You see that? For the minister of God, he is the minister of God to thee for good. If thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. And Paul is not talking about a Christian community with a God-fearing leader. Paul is talking to a group of Gentiles and Jews in the church at Rome who are under the thumb of Nero, who is anything other than God-fearing. He is abusive on every level. But he still says to Nero, Nero, you have a responsibility to do good and to reward good and to punish evil. And you're supposed to bear the sword and not bear the sword in vain. Don't punish good and reward evil. Punish evil and reward good. But in our godless culture, that has been totally flipped around. Our government not only is allowing evil lifestyles, but is pushing it. Destructive first and foremost to the person, the home, the church, and the government. Our feckless political leaders and their ridiculous hedonistic policies encourage drug use. Abuse and homelessness. There was a time in the city of San Diego where if you got caught with drugs on you, you were going to go to jail and then the courts were going to try to get you help. Now you could get caught with heroin and you might get a ticket. The homeless problem in San Diego is not a price of housing problem. It is 100% related to, to the ubiquitous drug culture that is in our community. And I submit to you, though it is a complex problem, it would be resolved very, very quickly if we began to punish evil and reward good. And I am not minimizing the complexity of that issue. But when we reward evil and punish good, a country is not headed in the wrong, wrong direction. It has arrived at the wrong destination. Our children in schools are being force-fed, bigoted, hate-filled, division-causing ideologies to hate one race more than another, to elevate one race more than another. I love this statement by Dr. King where he said, I look forward to a time in our country where men are judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. By the way, that's a Christian ideal. Our country has condoned and encouraged the breakdown of the family, no-fault divorces, encouraged living together, try it out. Now you're bizarre if you uh, marry somebody before having sex with them. I mean, they make, they make whole TV shows mocking a biblical view of purity. We've allowed depraved media to fuel the godless passions of man. Pornography runs rampant. Child sex trafficking is everywhere. Well, pastor, what can be done? Well, I'll tell you where you start. You punish evil. And reward good. And if I could be candid with you, I want you to listen to me very clearly. They will be judged for their actions. You see, there's this idea... Some of Christendom, and it's wrong headed on every level, that the judgment of hell is going to be one, one uniform degree. That's not how it's going to be at all. 
For the person who rejects Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. If that's you today, you do not have to go to hell. You don't have to go. You can repent of your sin. That means to acknowledge that you've sinned against God and agree with God that you've sinned against him and put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Submit to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he promises to save you. But for the person that rejects him, they will go to hell. But can I be very candid with you? If you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, try to live as good a life as you possibly can. Why? Because the temperature and the level of judgment in hell will be determined on your obedience to the law. You stand before the judgment seat of Christ having rejected him, you're going to have to give an account of the things done in your body. You're going to give account to how you lived your life. And the, the more hedonistic you lived, the grosser the judgment. The more moral you lived, the less the judgment. But everybody who rejects Christ will spend eternity judged in hell. Don't, don't think I'm saying you're not going to hell if you reject Christ. You are absolutely going. But the person who lived a moral life who rejected Christ... <coughs> Those still in hell will not suffer near as much as Joseph Mengele or Adolf Hitler will because of their hedonistic, abusive tactics. They will both suffer eternity, but Hitler way worse than the other guy. These government officials will have to stand before God for their judgment, for their actions. Pastor, are you saying that they'll spend eternity in hell? Uh, if they rejected Jesus Christ as their savior, they absolutely will. Not, not because of the decisions that they made, but because they rejected Jesus Christ. They are a minister of God, and they're supposed to fulfill God's requirement on their life. They are not free to act however they choose. And then we see God has an expectation for the Christian in verse number five. Wherefore, or because of all of this that I've just said from verse 1 to verse number 4, ye, you Christians, must needs be subject or submitted, not only because of wrath, but for conscience sake. Obey the authority in your life. Why? Why? Why do I have to obey them? Because God has put them in authority. Proverbs chapter 8, verse number 15. The scripture says, By me kings reign and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. By me kings reign. Isaiah 41, verse number 2. Who raised up the righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave the nations before him, and made him rule over kings? He gave them, uh, he gave them as the dust to his sword and as driven stubble to his bow. He pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he hath not gone with his feet. Who hath uh, wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 21 on the screen. And he changeth the times and the season. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. The New Testament talks about this as well. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. Again, we see this biblical principle for governing. Governance is to punish evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men and free as not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Honor all men, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Kind of a bummer passage, isn't it? Because I would rather the scriptures say, honor the king as long as they do what you think is right. Honor the king as long as what they do makes your life easy and good. But that's not what it says. And I'm glad I'm preaching this when we have people in 
political authority, both in the local, state, and federal level, that I would agree with everything pretty much that they do. Because I need this right now. I need this more than ever. So you might say, well, I don't disagree with everything. That's fine. That's fine. Just wait. It'll come full circle. Then there'll be somebody in authority that you disagree with. And you still have the biblical requirement to honor the king. It's just a matter of time. Well, pastor, what do we do if the government requires us to do something God told us not to do or doesn't allow us to do something God told us to do? Well, we have this example in the book of Acts where Peter and John are arrested and they stand before the, the magistrates and those in authority and, and they tell them, don't preach the gospel. And Peter and John say, um, I can't help but talk about the things that we've seen and heard. And they beat them and they send them out of prison. And as soon as they leave prison, they start preaching again, they're rearrested. And they say, I thought we told you not to preach the gospel. Peter looks to him and says, you got to understand something, guys. It's better to obey God than man. I've got to put the Lord's command above your word. So what if the government requires disobedience to what God has called us to do? We, we recently, we don't have to look too far in the past, we recently went through this. Back in March of 2020, when the pandemic started, we, in an effort to be good citizens, and, and I think nobody really knew exactly what was going to happen, but we were hearing things like two to four million Californians will be dead by the month of August. So in a five-month period, we'll just Californians alone, we'll have about three-quarters of a million people die every single month. Well, we didn't want that to happen because we were fearful it might be people that we love. And so we made the very difficult decision for the first and probably only time in our history, let's shut down the church for a little while and keep people safe. And by tech, the reasons or the ability of technology, we were able to kind of have not even close to church, but a, a semblance of a service. Because it's not the same. And so we began to preach online and, and teach and have small groups online. And we tried to do all of that in compliance. And what we realized not too long is that the uh, projections were not accurate. We just realized that. And so we believed that because God has commanded us to gather together, not gather together online, because that's not gathering together. It's just not the same. It's like online marriage. You might feel it, but it's not the same thing. It's not marriage unless you can smell his feet and have to deal with her mom, which are both difficult. But we're called to gather together. That's what God called us to do. You look through the New Testament, it's one another, one another, together, together, singing together, encouraging together, praying together, talking together, fellowshipping together, preaching the word together, ministering together, assembly, 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 over and over again. And for 2,000 years, the church has met together every single Sunday. So after a few weeks, this is what we felt the Lord would have us do, and we tried to give everybody the freedom and the liberty to do what they felt led of the Lord to do. But this is what we said, we're going to meet together. As an act of civil disobedience, we're going to meet together. We're not throwing stones at anybody. We're not getting online and talking trash to anybody. We're not laying down lines in the sand. We just simply have to meet together as a church family because God requires it. And some people said, well... Online, pastor, that's together. No, that's not. God didn't put it in his word 
Forsake not the online assembling of yourselves together. You say, well, you're being silly. Sure, I am, to prove a point. But that principle is not taught that there can be unity and connection when we're that far apart. And so some churches sued the government to meet together and other churches did it under cover of darkness and some churches put up big signs that they were meeting together. We took the course of quietness. But we're not going to be able to obey the authority in this manner. We went through the arduous process of checking your temperature when you came in putting a little band on your hand. It's like this was an amusement park and you get to come to the front of the line. Welcome to Canyon Ridge. But there are times when you have to disobey the government if they're requiring you to do something God doesn't want you to do. The Pharaoh of Egypt and told the midwives of the Jews to kill every boy that is born. The leaders in the New Testament told the disciples to stop preaching and teaching, even beating the apostle Paul, beating Peter. Of the 12 apostles, not Judas, but including Paul in that, they all died for their faith other than the apostle John. He died a very old man, but he had, they had tried to kill him. He had been exiled to a rock island called Patmos where he wrote the Revelation. He had been boiled in a vat of hot oil. I mean, his body was probably covered with third-degree bur- scars from third-degree burns. I mean, they, they, he had greatly been abused for following his faith. Timothy, we believe, um, um, uh, uh, had been uh, um, uh, killed. And, and all of these men, all of these disciples had been killed for their obedience to the Scripture. But that ought to be a last resort. Why do we follow the king? Verse number uh, five and six here. Four, uh, five and six, for this cause pay we tribute. For they are ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Verse number four. Um, he beareth not the sword in vain. He is a minister of God to execute wrath or, or orge. Settled indignation, the laws of the land are supposed to be settled, not emotional. Why do we follow the king? Well, there's a pragmatic reason, because they can punish you. But then there's a biblical reason for conscience sake, because God is putting in the heart of man to do that which is right, as opposed to that which is wrong. For the believer, that's the case. So verse number seven, we pay tribute, we pay taxes. As much as I hate that. We give custom, show reverence, especially to those who are in the daily practice of defending us. We, 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 we give honor to whom honor is due, tribute to whom tribute is due. Now, we have a special privilege as Americans because we actually vote in our authority. And just like the government, those in governmental authority will answer to God for what they do with their authority, you will answer to God for what you do with your vote. Well, I just don't vote. You're going to answer to God for that. And then you become culpable in everything that that person does if you do nothing with it. And you answer to God for it. Why? Because he's given you, we are one of the few nations and the first nation that gets the, that's had the privilege of picking those in authority. And if you do nothing with that and sit idly by and say, it doesn't make a difference anyway. Well, maybe it does or doesn't. That's a debate for another time with people who maybe know more than I do. That's for sure. But you still have the privilege and the opportunity to do that. And you have a responsibility to follow through. And then we're commanded to honor and fear. Especially those who are in the daily practice of defending us. In a world where, not in a world, but in a country 
where law enforcement is continually maligned, I want to say you have a biblical responsibility to honor them, to fear them, and to show respect to them, and to teach that to your children. They need to be heroes in your children's life. Even when they do things you don't want them to do. We're not talking about immoral things, just stuff. First Sunday in June, I was preached here on Sunday morning and I was asked to preach at a church plant, doing a great job up in the Palmdale area, which is just right next to Lancaster, Rancho Vista area. And um, it, it's, it's a drive. And so Debbie and I, we finished the morning service, got in my car and we drove up there and it was a very tight window to be there on time. And so we ate on the way up there while driving, you know, one of those deals. And, and we made it up the 15 and traffic was kind of rough. And, and I had had a few too many energy drinks that day or cups of coffee. So I was a little bit, how do you say it, uh, excited about everything. And so I'm driving and my car is, it's, it can go decent speeds quite fast actually. And it handles well. And, and so I'm driving, not really pay attention to the speed, just passing all of the slow people. By the way, can I tell you the left lane's called the passing lane? It's not the cruising lane. People just sitting over there like, bro, this is great. Get out of the way. I went, can I say this as well? This If you're driving right next to another car, the dude behind you can't go anywhere. Get past him. Don't just sit there. It's like, what are you guys, like twins here? You're married? You're going down the altar together? You're giving one another away? Get out of there. Like literally people are like 35, 40, 45, and they just sit right next to people. I, I try to help them by flashing my line, talking my horn, preaching the gospel. It scares people. I don't know. But, but they're just, you know, and so I'm just, ah, I got to get there on time. And, and I'm just, you know, kind of, and Debbie's over there just, just praying and passing out, praying and passing out, praying and passing out. She just, come on, she's like, relax. I'm like, you want to see relaxed? I'll go to sleep right now, you know. So I'm praying, God, you've got to get me there on time. I mean, we're not messing around here. And so I come around this corner on I-38 heading into Palmdale. And I, I had never driven this way before. I'm following the GPS, which is probably a bad idea. And I'm coming around a corner there and these people had been doing that same thing. Like they're coming next to a tractor trailer and it's just like they're going like half a mile an hour faster than the tractor trailer. There is a gas pedal on the right of your car. Use it. It allows you to use the pedal next to it called the brake. Go! Okay, now that that's done. So I finally, and I'm, I'm trying to get around. It's one of those roads. It's a single lane road, but you know how they have the passing lane. How many of you know the passing lane? So you're able to go. Well, they're not passing. They're just barely passing. All they think about is themselves. There's like me and 7,000 cars behind me or 10, whichever fits your story better. And I'm like, I got to get past them. So this car finally gets over and I've got, you know, like a quarter of a mile to pass 35 cars. Okay, not 35, probably 15. And I'm so... I'm like, praise the Lord. The windows of heaven are open. His blessings are falling tonight. There's joy, joy, joy in my right foot. Jesus made everything right. And I take off because I'm trying to get past them. And as I'm driving, I get past them. I'm like, yes, it happened. And I saw something. I thought, oh, the Lord is shining his light of blessing on me because a car behind me turned on their lights, a black and white car turned on their lights. And I thought, I am going to get a police escort all the way to the church where I'm preaching tonight. And I'm supposed to be there in 10 minutes and it's 15 minutes. Maybe we're going to make it on time. And so his lights are on behind me. And I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. I'll pull over and let him lead because I don't even know where I'm going. And so as I pulled over, I was super excited. And then he pulled over right behind me. And I was like, oh, dude. It's like, Debbie, let's change seats. 
you already have all of the tickets in bad driving record. What's one more? And he comes up and he says, uh, I clocked you doing so many miles an hour. And I was irritated. Because I'm a pastor. And I'm going to preach the gospel. And I thought, I got better things to do. And then the Lord's like, clear as day. He's an authority. He's your authority. So I handed him my driver's license and all the stuff I needed to hand him. And uh, nice conversation. He was, he was not a real talkative police officer. Some of them are. I enjoy that. You can find out where they're from, what they like, their kid's favorite food, where they go to school. If they're that talkative with you, they, normally you're not going to, you know, maybe get a ticket or, or they'll just talk to you and then give you a ticket. I don't know. I don't get pulled over that much, but that's what Debbie told me. <laughs> and so he goes back to his car and I'm just praying in my heart like, Lord, I really hope he's writing me a ticket. And it wasn't really a financial thing. I could afford it, I guess. But like, Lord, I, I, just, let him, just, just let him give me a warning. Because really, you know, Lord, if he gives me a warning, that's almost as good. And I'll, I'll pretty much drive, you know, really good. I'm bartering with Jesus. How many of you have ever done that? Like, I'll drive really good for the next 30 days. And I'll only exceed the speed limit by 20. Um, or whatever. I was just being stupid. But... Uh, and I'll do it. And he comes back to my car. Uh, Mr. Chadwick, here's your license. Please sign here. This is not an admission of guilt, but this is you recognizing that I pulled you over and you're a complete and utter idiot. And so I signed there. He didn't say the idiot part. That's my commentary on myself. He gave me my receipt. He said, thanks for being so cooperative. And I said, thanks for nothing. No, I'm kidding. I didn't say that at all. <laughs> didn't say that at all. I said, thank you. Have a good day. Stay safe. Got in my car. Now, normally, I've been pulled over once or twice. And I was just really arrogant about three weeks before that. And I said, now, I've been pulled over many times, and I've never gotten a ticket because I'm always nice to cops. Well, because I was a chaplain, and I love police officers, and I'm so thankful for them and them putting their lives on the lines, especially in this kind of culture that we live in. And God, I think, was allowing me to be tested. Will you be kind and honor authority when you don't get what you want out of them? And so I took my ticket. I handed it to Debbie. I said, I think this one's going to be expensive. And we drove and had church. He said, how do you feel about it? I'm very thankful there was a cop there who is enforcing the law. And is no respecter of persons, even when I'm the person I wanted him to respect. Why? Because he is God's agent to punish evil and reward good. He punished evil and he was rewarding good. You say, were you doing evil? I was disobeying. I wasn't following the law. See, here's the big idea of this text. God's put authority in their place. Respect it. No, did you hear me? God's put authority in their place. Respect it. Well, I don't like our current president. You still have to respect him. You don't have to vote for him again. You can pray that his policies don't get passed. But you still have to show a measure of respect. He's still God's man. Matter of fact, you're commanded to pray for him. I don't like our governor. I don't either. I think he's leading our state in a very bad direction. And we are going to prayerfully vote to recall him. Amen. That's not being political. That's just a moral statement. On the direction that they're setting our state. I am not trying to be political at all. But on the direction that they're setting our state. We have the highest taxes and worst climate for business. Our schools are 46th in the nation. Homelessness is running rampant. Which I think homelessness. Because of what our political leaders are doing. And not encouraging and helping those who are weakest and most frail among us. That we are seeing homelessness rise at a rampant rate. And it ought to be stopped. And I know it's a complex problem. But it ought to be dealt with and stopped. God has put authority in their place. Place, respect it. Respect them. 
One of the many reasons I love the United States of America is because of the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We are free to worship God in this country. We have freedom. I wonder today, do you have freedom? Have you been freed by Jesus Christ? Do you know that if you die today, you're saved from your sin? The freedom of religion, though corporately beneficial regardless of your position or whether or not you accept Jesus Christ, but the freedom of religion is of much less consequence if you don't accept Christ as your Savior. God sent Jesus from heaven to earth to make you free. And Scripture actually says it this way. If the Son shall make you free, talking about Jesus Christ, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That means with certainty. Are you free in Christ? Do you know that if you die today that heaven would be your home? Are you free in Jesus? Today you can be. True freedom comes from knowing Christ. And then Christian, what kind of citizen are you? Has the change in parties distracted you and caused you to be less of a citizen? Or, or, or less respectful or less prayerful? Or more? God's just called us to be Christians in our citizenship. And the people that were in charge in Rome in Paul's day, it's like the guy's name was Nero. He was anything other than kind. Would to God that we would be a people that are godly citizens, that live our life in a godly way, and we're not angry and bitter and vile, and we have speech that is vitriolic and offensive. Would to God that we were a people who were Christ-like in every part of our character, including our citizenship. Including our citizenship. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.